Um, Christmas is here. What? What? And for me, this is kind of weird. Um, I, I grew up in the States, so I'm still expecting another holiday. So when I go to like a store and it's the beginning of November and they're already play, playing Christmas carols, I'm like, what is going on here? I don't understand. So how many of you guys here have the whole Christmas party circuit to run through? Lots of parties. Lots of stuff to do. And there's this expectation that you won't show up empty-handed, correct? For the most part. You're not going to show up to things empty-handed. So that could be the church potluck, one of my favorite events of all time. Um, which protein are you going to bring? Which dessert are you going to bring? What, which type of potatoes are you responsible to bring? Or maybe it's your white elephant um, thing at work where you have to buy the perfect $5 gift that's not too funny, it's usable. You don't want to make the other people feel bad that they just bought some trinkety thing in the lineup and just you're stressing out about that. What am I going to bring? Or maybe it's your family and you drew names to see what you're, to, you're supposed to bring for a gift for a specific person. What are we supposed to bring? What did she bring? What did he bring? It's all about bringing stuff to the table. And so this, this week, we're going to start our Advent series that we've entitled, He Brings. And we're going to be looking at four specific things that Jesus brought in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And what did Jesus bring? He brought the best things. He brought peace, hope, joy, and love. So let's face it. I, I think for me and I think for you, we could do with a lot more of these things in our lives. I could do with a lot more peace and hope and joy and love. The world could do with a whole lot more peace, hope and joy and love. And the, the reality is, guys, is that the Christmas season often stirs up within us more discord and discomfort than often we're comfortable admitting. Is that fair? The Christmas season seems to stir up a lot of things relationally and emotionally in a lot of us in this room. Some good and some more challenging and more painful. And what we see is that Jesus gives us the gifts we maybe didn't even know that we needed in this. And I remember I was thinking about this. I got a gift once from Jess's aunt and it was in a battery box and I opened it and it, it was like these weird springy things with two sharp prongs coming out of the end. I was like, what in the, what, what is this? And I was, I was like, oh, thank you so much. And then thinking, okay, does she think I'm taking like some weird martial arts class or what is the purpose of these things? And lo and behold, they were corn cob holders. <laughs> Something I didn't even know that I would need one day. So thank you, Auntie Marion. But, but God, God gives us sometimes things we don't even know that we need, right? And so why are these things necessary? Why is it necessary that God brings us peace, hope, joy, and love through Jesus? It's because we're often living in the reality of broken relationships. We're living in a state of depression. We're living in a state of anxiety. And we're in, living in a state of fear. So God brings us gifts that we didn't even know that we needed that will remedy these, these realities that we live in. Today, we're going to be kicking the whole series off, and the, the message is entitled, He Brings Peace. So we're going to read two scriptures. Both of these scriptures are from the Old Testament. These are prophetic scriptures, and I want you guys to know that the whole Bible, the story, the arc of the story of the Bible, in the Old Testament is looking forward to Jesus, and in the New Testament it's looking back to Jesus. So Jesus is the central, the centrifugal force of the scriptures. So these, both of these are looking forward to the arrival of Jesus Christ. So we're going to read both of these. One is from Isaiah chapter 9 and the other from Zechariah chapter 9. <clears throat> you probably have heard these, but let's read them together. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Father, we pray that you'd show us this morning your heart for peace. Help us become peacemakers. Thank you for the gift of your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going, to play, play, we're going to play a little game, word association game. When I say the word peace, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Shout it out. Jesus, good answer. Comfort, okay. Hippie, nice. Rest. Pie? Oh, piece of pie, nice, okay. Interesting, okay. This is what pops into my mind, peace sign. Anyone else grow up in the early 90s? This is really cool. I had a necklace with it on it. I had a shirt with a, like a globe and a peace sign. That's what pops into my, my mind when I think about peace. But the Bible would have a different kind of frame of reference. So the Hebrew word in the, in the Old Testament that is used for peace is shalom. And listen to this definition of shalom. Completeness, wholeness, welfare, and peace. The Greek word used in, in the New Testament is irene. And it means this, when all the essential parts are joined together. Huh, who could use some of that? The most basic meaning of shalom is, is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness or wholeness. Huh, I could use that in my life. It is complex. God's peace is not narrowly defined. It is much more than the absence of strife. It encompasses all of the person. So how does this square up with our often short-sighted and small view of peace? It's a much grander, much more holistic thing that God is coming to give us. It's not about just, okay, the removal or the pretending that strife isn't there. It's something much deeper and much more needed. If I were to ask you honestly, do you feel like you are in a state of completeness or wholeness? Has God's shalom engulfed all of you? I would be shocked if you said yes. But this is the good news, guys. Remember, Jesus is the one these scriptures that we read is looking towards. This is, this is who the scriptures are prophesying to us about. Jesus is God with us, after all. Emmanuel, that's what that means. God come to us. God with skin on. God come to Him coming to show us what God the Father is really like. And this is essential and necessary because we, humanity... In our blind delusion, in our arrogance, in our sin, had fallen into rebellion against God and his ways. We wanted nothing to do with God. God, we can define good and evil in our own strength. We can do this on our own. Thank you very much. Thus, we've become enemies of God's kingdom and his ways. And to be honest and to be frank, rebellion will never equal peace. Jesus Christ steps into our darkness and into this delusion and brokenness, and he doesn't only just come in to point out that we're in rebellion or that we're wrong, he comes to bring us out of that. 
Jesus Christ steps into our darkness and brokenness, and he actually does something about it. Jesus comes with a purpose, and that pur- purpose is to be a peacemaker. Let's read these two scriptures together. Both are written by the Apostle Paul. This is from the letter, letter to the Colossians. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So for in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconnect, to reconcile, to fill in the empty spaces, like that, that wall analogy that Shalom was talking about. To, to, to join together all the things that had become disconnected in the brokenness of our world. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17 says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you and me, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's done this by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. The gospel we believe in, the gospel that we rest in, the gospel that informs what we do and what we're about is a gospel of peace. What Jesus did for you and I in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension is to make peace, to create peace between humanity and God. Romans 5.1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is good news because you and I, this is something that we could never do in our own ambition in our own striving for holiness, in our own quote-unquote good works, and all of our best efforts at, at being philanthropic or disguising our brokenness or anything else, Jesus did this perfectly for us once and for all through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And this is the beautiful exchange of the gospel that Jesus included you and I in that. He's included us in his life and in his death and in his resurrection and his, his ascension. And what's true of him is not true of us good news. In Jesus coming to make peace, this is Scott McKnight's um, definition of what peacemaking is. Peacemaking is neither being quote-unquote nice, nor is it quote-unquote tolerance. Rather, it is an active entrance into the middle of warring parties for the purpose of creating reconciliation and peace. That's what Jesus did. Jesus stepped into our delusion, into our rebellion, into our wanting to have nothing to do with God. And he came and he showed us what God was actually like opening our eyes, bringing us out of the darkness into the light, exposing our own brokenness and our own sin and offering us a way to be reconnected to our Father. Jesus knew that only a drastic solution would suffice, so he made, he made peace, and he made peace by his very own blood, sacrificially, laying down his life for you and I. He literally waged peace. He waged peace. My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, records John in his gospel. Jesus gives us a gift with the intention that we will regift it. It doesn't just stop with us. Um, 
my family, probably like a lot of you guys' family, my family of origin, uh, is pretty broken, actually. Uh, my parents are the first couple that have made it, you know, through 25 years of marriage without divorce. I think for the last four or five generations, not four or five, two or three generations on both sides, there's been multiple marriages, brokenness, addiction, and it's just, it's painful. It's painful to experience. It's, pain, it's painful to be around. Um, one thing that breaks my heart, my dad has a brother that he's been alienated from for the last 30 years. So he calls, he calls his brother every birthday, every time it's his brother's birthday. And he was telling me this recently that one of the last times he called, he's, he call, he's calling his work and he's saying, hey, is Craig there? This is his brother, Mason. And he said he could hear his brother on the other end of the line as his coworker said, hey, Craig, your brother's on the phone. And he said, I don't even have a brother. And so that's real. That's something my dad has lived with and struggled with. And he's like, he, he said, he told me that years ago, he asked Craig, like, what did I do? He said, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. So for 30 years, my dad has just been like, what, what, you know, what's going on here? Or my grandmother, who became pregnant as a teenager out of wedlock and was shuffled off to Florida for nine months. So no one could see that and was forced to give up her child for adoption. So she's lived with that. Or my own brokenness with my own parents. That there's things that I, I, I have never really talked through with them that have hurt, the things that have hurt me or things that I may have done to hurt them. That, that those are the, the things that kind of swell up when I think about going home for Christmas. Like, okay, right. I, I feel the weight of those broken relationships around the Christmas season. I feel, I tangibly feel the alienation and distance that's there. I feel the stress. I feel that pit in my stomach. I feel the anxiety. I feel that avoidance. Like, how can I not sit near them? I don't want to have to talk to them. I don't want that to have to come up. And maybe you feel the same way with people in your life. And maybe you feel the weight and the shame associated with loneliness or feeling disconnected from people. Tim Mackey says this about shalom and peace. The core idea is that life is very complex. It's full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any, when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole, and it needs to be restored. This is something, guys, I want to be completely honest with you. This is something I really struggle with, this whole idea of peacemaking. My family was a family that, that was a peacekeeping family, not a peacemaking family. So it's like, are you okay? Just say yes. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I guess I'm okay. Because we don't really want to talk about it. We only have to make peace. We just want to know that everything's fine, and then we'll kind of we'll just pretend like we're all good, and then we'll go into whatever next social situation we need to go into. And the picture that comes to mind is, you know, Jess and I will go on these long road trips to see my family down south. We've got four kids, and so Jess, the entire trip, bless her heart, she's just trying to keep the peace. She's feeding them bananas. She's putting on a new DVD. She's switching the music. She's climbing in the back. She's doing everything that she can and exhausting herself just to hear, are you okay? Okay, just be quiet. Just shut up, you know? <laughs> And for some of us, that's kind of how we live our life. We're climbing into the back seat. We're, okay, what DVD can I put on? How can I just make them just be quiet and shut up and say that they're fine? Hey, Lily. <laughs> but, uh, um, but I wanted to be honest with you guys that this, I'm not up here saying, you know what, I'm a great peacemaker. I suck at this. Anyone close to me knows this. They would say, yeah, Tom, you really suck at this, actually. And I was struggling with this this week because... Often when I'm preparing to teach, it's like God is, is wrecking me and showing me the whole week, okay, how, how awful I am at certain things. But I was praying, and I, I felt like he was saying, listen, Tom, here's the reality. 
Your job is to preach the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is the way of Jesus, whether or not you're doing it perfectly or not. And what, we're, what you're not preaching is the way of tongue. So I just want to, I want to get that out there. I'm not trying to stand up here as a hypocrite and be like, you know what, I'm a great peacemaker. I'm not. But I want to get better at it. And I want the gift of peace that Jesus brings me to inform that. So, oh, thanks, Roger. Um, so in, bearing in mind, we're thinking about the reality of the broken relationships that we, we're probably going to be encountering in the next few weeks and stepping into you know, social situations where this, these things actually exist. So what if, I'm going to pose a question to you, what if God wants you to be part of the solution to the broken relationships or that sense of loneliness that you find yourself in? We talk often, we pray often about in Allison as it is in heaven. We want to be people who represent God's kingdom. And I think this is part of it. This is part of it. It's, it's stepping into the reality that God has made peace with us so that make, we can make peace with others. We say this often. Everything God has done to us and for us, he now wants to do through us. But we cannot give what we do not have. Okay? So if you are struggling with receiving the peace that God has given you, if you're, if you're struggling to receive the forgiveness God's given you, to, to live into the reality that he has cleansed you, that he's reconnected you with the Father, then that's going to be a hard thing for you to overcome because you can't actually give what you do not have. But the more we allow the gospel to inform and shape how we interact with one another and with God, the easier it will be to become a peacemaker. In order for us to step into our identity as sons and daughters, he has given us peace to do that. In order for us to step into our identity as peacemakers, we must first experience and know the peace of God for ourselves. No one can become a peacemaker themselves until they themselves have found peace. So Jesus says this in his Sermon on the Mount, which is his kingdom vision for what life with God looks like, what, what it looks like to be a true human being. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I want to be called the son of God. So just we're going to spend a few minutes unpacking what a peacemaker is. Obviously, the example is perfectly in Jesus. But let's start with what a peacemaker is not. And this is you know, what I've defined as a peacekeeper, not a peacemaker. A peacemaker is not a hippie who only eats a plant-based diet, who has a soul patch and some beginnings of dreadlocks or something like that, it, who, who just has a coexist bumper sticker on their Prius. It's not someone who says, you do you as long as no one gets hurt. You know, you do you, man. That's not a peacemaker. A peacemaker is not someone that says, you do your thing and I'll do mine. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14 says this, They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. That is a peacekeeper. And this is often easier in the, in the short term, but way harder to follow through with in the long term. That's what a peacemaker is not. What is a peacemaker? The first thing a peacemaker is, is a peacemaker is honest. A peacemaker speaks the truth in love. I've been thinking a lot through this. This is a big struggle for me. Truth without love ends up being very hurtful and ends up with a lot of what we see as fundamentalism. Truth without love is fundamentalism. But equally, love without truth is sentimentalism. 
It's not, it's, it's dishonest. It's deceptive. It's not the full picture. But what we're going for as peacemakers, as followers of Jesus, is love and truth. This is the way of Jesus. We can't spin things. We can't spin things. And that, that was, you know, I was talking about my family of origin and my tendency is to spin things. No, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. I don't want you to have to actually understand that I'm actually really not okay. I don't want to make you feel bad about yourself or whatever it might be. Or it's easier for me to not be honest that way. So what is a peacemaker? A peacemaker is honest. We see that in the life of Jesus. Secondly, a peacemaker is willing to risk pain. A peacemaker is willing to risk pain. A peacemaker is willing to be misunderstood. He's willing, he or she is willing to fail. And he doesn't, or she doesn't give in to the lie that this will only make things worse if I'm honest or if I try to make peace. A peacemaker is active and not passive. A peacemaker like Jesus literally wages peace. I will make peace. I will wage peace. And sometimes it, it, it's disruptive but they're active and not passive. And finally, a peacemaker is drenched in the shalom of God, in the peace of God. A peacemaker is able to express humility, mercy, love, and the character of Christ. James 3, we read this verse earlier. I'm going to read it again, though. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere and a harvest of righteousness which is actually right relationship is sown in peace by those who make peace i had this picture to kind of hopefully help us delineate between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker when jess and i first got married we got a bread box shout out bread boxes um and it just said it was a box and it said bread on it um really creative and uh and what it did is it kept our bread and eventually our bread just became moldy in this box that said bread and uh its job was that you know that was its basic job and i was thinking about that and that picture popped into my mind i was like what god and he was thinking okay that's a bread keeper now i was thinking about a bread maker i like bread i like gluten-free bread um adjusting to it but i was thinking between the, di- the difference between a bread keeper and a bread maker a bread maker is something that creates sustenance. It creates something that you can share with other people. It's alive. It's dynamic. It's not stale and decaying. It's something that's actually bringing life and fruit, not fruit, but like sustenance to people around you. And I was thinking about, okay, God, how does that work? And I was thinking about, okay, every day, this is the importance of feasting and staying connected to Jesus, abiding in him. The scriptures say every day he gives us new mercies. Every day, we get to feast on the gospel. We get to receive the gift of peace that he's given us. Those are the things that go into being a peacemaker. We need to receive those things. And from that place of being a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper, we're able to create sustenance. And we're able to create something that we can share with other people that brings life. The peacemaker, as the person whom Jesus blesses, seeks to reconcile Not by pretending that there are no differences or by suppressing differences, but by creating love of the other that transcends differences or that permits the people to join hands in spite of differences. Scott McKnight. 
So there is a need in us, guys, especially as we go into this season of, of being around people and who potentially have hurt us or into broken relationships, that God is inviting us. The ball is in our court, and he has brought peace so that we can bring peace into situations. But we need to come to terms with wherever we're at on the spectrum that we cannot any longer just be peacekeepers. We need to be peacemakers. I would say that this is something that God is wanting to push us into as a community. And this is actually maturity. We pray that we would be mature. We pray for these things, but this is an opportunity. It's not easy. But this is, this is part of Christ being formed in each one of us. And this is ultimately what we want. So who here actually wants to follow the way of Jesus? Who wants to be a disciple, an apprentice? That's what we're here for. That's what we're gathering around. The challenge this week, guys, is this. The Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11, talks about um, how the importance of, of how we take communion. And he says, it's possible to take communion in an unworthy manner. And one of the ways in which we would do that, it requires us to step out of being peacekeepers and becoming peacemakers. And he's referencing what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come home and offer your gift. I'm going to read that one more time. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come home and offer your gift. So the challenge is this, guys. We've got one week between now and when we'll be taking communion together as a family. And so the challenge is this. Who are the people in your life that you need to make peace with this week? Who are the people that when you're there about to offer your gift at the altar, you remember, man, I've done something to hurt that person. I've done something that, that has, has broken a relationship. How can I go and make peace? Specifically, I want to be very specific, the person that you know you have hurt. The person that you know that you have hurt. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict us of sin. And that, that's why we're gonna, we have to lean in hard and be dependent on the Holy Spirit in this. My intention in this is not to unlock a whole bunch of, you did this and you hurt me and this happened and this happened and this happened. But part of this is growing to own up to the things that we've done that have hurt other people. And trusting that God will reveal that to those who have hurt you. Bearing in mind, as we do this, as we step out into this challenge, that Jesus brings peace so that we can bring peace. He has made peace with us and God so that we can make peace with each other. Okay, right? We feast on the peace that he's given us. There is a way that we need to do this, though, guys, that is considerate and models the character of Jesus. I've been on the, the, the receiving end of this a few times where it hasn't really been considerate. It's been more about the other person trying to get something off of their chest. And I was left with more confusion and hurt than I think was intended. But we need to use discretion. We need to use um, discernment. And again, it's what have you done to hurt your brother? What have you done to hurt your sister? What, 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 remember what you've done to, to hurt them in the process. Use discretion and wisdom as you seek to make peace. And remember, the highest goal of this is to express the love of God, to express the agape of God. <laughs> If you are here this morning, and, and, and as you're processing this, we're going to be doing this in community group as well, 
Talk to the people you love and trust. Talk to the leaders that are in your community group or here if you're in a specifically tricky situation. And for some of us, there are people that you've heard that maybe having contact with them is actually out of the question. And maybe that's more so just potentially writing a letter or something like that just to help you process. We'd love to talk to you about that. But one, one thing, just a tip just for us, and then we're going we're gonna to stand and pray a prayer together. As this week unfolds, there could be people who come to you and say, hey, listen, I know I've hurt you. Would you forgive me? And I want to say something to you. If someone comes to make peace with you, you need to remember this, that the world says offense equals strength. That's what the world says. But in the kingdom, forgiveness equals strength. Okay? I'm going to say that one more time. When someone comes to you and is asking and seeking for forgiveness and for reconciliation, do not be tempted to fall into the world's way of doing this and holding on to your offense as some sort of strength. It's actually weakness. In the kingdom of God, the strength is forgiveness. We see this in Jesus' life. When he's on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He had every right to be offended, but he chose not to be. I know this is a lot to take in, guys, but I'm going to ask us to stand. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. going to do is we're going to pray this short prayer together from St. Francis, and then uh, we're just going to head right into singing and worship. Can you guys wait one second so we can see it? Can everyone see that? Yeah. Okay, I'll start us off in three, two, one. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hate, may I bring love. Where offense, may I bring pardon. May I bring union in place of discord. Amen. Amen.